0: Love Talk Radio.
1: like a coffee shop. I'm uh, tonight Knight, and with me tonight is Miss Rainy Love.
0: Hello, Wonder Woman. About time you landed in the shores. <laughs> well, I am happy to be here. I missed everybody. By oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was feeling a little under the weather, you know, but oh. we are on top of it now. Everything is great and awesome. How are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm evil as ever. Had to go phone shopping yet again.
0: Oh, no, did you blow up another phone? No. Well,
1: almost.
0: (laughs) You guys have to understand, this guy's got some incredible energy. (laughs) He's had to replace some keyboards and some computers and some phones in the past. I'm just asking, just saying.
1: Well, (laughs) I didn't melt this one. But I had to get another one because the one I had, I now have, you know, I have like four freaking phones for a reason. Well, most of them are just basic phones. They take calls. That's it. But my smartphone that I know so many damn things about, well, I had to get another smartphone because apparently they're not smart enough.
0: I it's quite the contrary. I do think they're smart. They're smart enough to know that you can't do certain things unless you have another phone. I think it's a marketing mm-hmm. idea. That's my personal opinion. And I think they've proven us right over and over and over again. Well, it's kind, kind of, of like enough. computers. No. Oh, your computer won't mm-hmm. work anymore because we can't upgrade it anymore. So you've got to mm-hmm. get another one. Sorry if it still works, well, you got to get another point. one. You usually blow them up. Yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> you know, it's bad enough. Yo, guys, you, if you've <laughs> listened to Mountain Bear, you know Techie Jack. Well, he's my computer guy. It's bad enough, you know. He shops for ones that are metal casings, laptops. He, you know, he really thought that he might want to look into getting the army grade laptops um, oh my because God of the my. casing. Because
2: well, oh, you know, I was bad
1: enough to show him the keyboard that I melted that one night.
0: <laughs> and so, you know, in case anybody didn't know it yet, Asen is my techie guy. So my techie guy has another techie guy.
1: I <laughs> should yeah. be in good
0: shape, right? <laughs> well, I handle software;
1: he handles hardware, honey.
0: I handle charm, so just tell me where to send the cookies for Christmas, okay? Yeah. Or Hanukkah. Uh,
1: <laughs> or Kwanzaa. <laughs> How about Yule? Can it, whatever holidays, Absolutely. I'll make a list up for you. Absolutely.
0: You can just I'm trying to you remember. got
1: a challenge though, because you know my doctor isn't allowing me sugar anymore.
0: Oh, okay. Well, there are ways mm-hmm. around that. Uh-huh. I guess I can't make you any of my famous Kahlua, huh? Mm,
1: you can make me Kahlua, honey. You just can't have sugar in it, so it has to have extra alcohol.
0: Well, it's kind of got both. Got to be honest.
1: Mhm.
0: Not really sure how that would go down. <laughs> you know... Uh, there's just some things you just can't water down, you know. So mm-hmm. it's okay. We'll find a we'll find a way to deal with this. Maybe it no, a no. pumpkin bread or zucchini bread. hmm
1: That sounds good. Both. I told him I says I'm not gonna any quino or any of these other fab diets. He says, "All right, no sugar." I was like, "That's not what I wanted." So what's no, making your you, news?
0: What's what? What's making your news feed? What's making my news feed? Not really much since mm-hmm. I'm not looking at it. I've been kind of busy with clients here the last couple of days, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, my granddaughter's gorgeous. She's six and a half months well, we old, and she's she... already standing up. You know,
2: she well, looks yeah. like a
0: little doll. We've got her in pigtails now, and she's just as happy as she can be. She is like, I love life and I love everybody around mm-hmm. me because they all make me feel so special. And uh, that's my new feed. got to be honest. <laughs> uh-huh. granny anything. <laughs> right. Well, but, you know, I looks making like mine exactly. is a
1: shooting in Jacksonville. You know, the video game okay. tournament that someone lost and then decided to go shoot the place up. I Jacksonville, did hear about Florida. that.
0: I did hear about that. Well,
1: yes. I well, you know, one of my partners is into video gaming, so we've looked at going right. to some of these things, and I'm like, I'm hiring security, and he thinks I'm crazy. Uh, no, I'm not.
0: <laughs> I don't think this is a common everyday occurrence, but you know, and and I know you you've even talked about this a little bit on the show. I'm not really a gamer, so I don't really understand that. It's just not my thing. But I know for a lot of people Mm -hmm. this is really important, that I know it's important to you, you know. Um, So, you know, there's, you know, been some people that, you know, have had those theories out there, which we have discussed, you know, that, you know, Mm -hmm. video games is not really all that good for you. And then there's also the theory that it helps you to develop some uh, brain skills, you know, um, to be able to handle some things that people who don't go on video games use. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, different information out there. You know, uh, I will tell you it's been my observation with younger people, you mm-hmm. know, people in their 20s and 30s, you know, um, and even, you know, some of the early 40s who have been doing this for a lot of years, they seem to be able to figure out more technological things than I can. Mm-hmm. And I would say that it probably is because they have been more exposed things like games and, you know, even computer type of things. So, you know, I will validate that just because usually I can come and say, okay, what's this? And they'll go, oh, this is easy. Where me, I'm Mm -hmm. looking at you like, can I go climb the tree like I did when I was 12? You know, uh, because I have no clue about this stuff. (laughs) What, you don't think I could do it? (laughs) it's not a
1: question of whether you can do it it's just a question of if you fall just how strong is your relationship with Superman because the last time I checked honey you fall you're breaking two hips and then you have to move to West Virginia
0: yeah there's a lot of things I can't do anymore because of my shoulders so trust me I'm probably Mm -hmm. not climbing any trees you know you know, oh, but, you know, I will, get, I will give a credit for, you know, the younger people. They have been, my children themselves, you know, have been exposed mm-hmm. to this stuff all of their lives. And there are certain things that cognitively they can figure out that I can't mm-hmm. because my brain has never been wired to work that way. However, I will also stand up for some of us old timers. I don't really want to call myself old, but, you know, kind of people who... I didn't grow up in the techie area era, okay? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of um things that I understand and know how to do that they don't. One of them is survival skills. Mm-hmm. I oh, grew yeah. up that way, you know. Um, you know, how to live off of the land and, and you know, how to go out there and, you know, do certain things that they don't have a clue about because they've never been exposed to. So different generations sure. do bring, bring things. But I will, you know, well, on behalf sure. of technology say that, yes, there are certain things that you are wired for because you've been exposed to it. You know, to someone younger, a phone is, no big deal. Me, I'm going, oh, God, a new phone. What am I going to do with this? And I never learn half the stuff that I'm supposed to learn on it. As long as I can text, as long as I can use that speaker phone, and as long as I can dial that number, save names, I'm cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything beyond well, that, i got to take less.
1: Well, you know, I'm that middle generation that we didn't wake up with computers in our hands. You know, yeah. You know, I remember having the big argument with that over getting a computer. But I've had to learn to enjoy And, you know, I've watched a lot of video games. I now play a couple. And I, I even offer services in one of them called Second Life. If you're a Second Life member, yes. My gamer tag is my name. You can IM me and get a reading in Second Life. It's an actual reading. Cool. But, yeah, but, you know, I've never had the desire to go and shoot somebody because I lost the game. This is the problem exactly. that occurs with yeah. people. Is there, is they, they look for any reason other than the obvious one. Here's the obvious one. Well, your background. The obvious to one is to they've got
0: some emotional. Yeah, they've got emotional problems. Um, depending on who you are, you may or may not have been medicated or properly medicated, and this seems to be exactly. a reoccurring thing with a lot of people. And I'm not saying it's absolutely everybody, but it is a reoccurring mm-hmm. thing that we continue to have to deal with. It. We are not facing fully to the level we need to face in this country is there are a lot of people out there with a, a lot of, you know, uh, emotional um, mm-hmm. issues, mental health issues. And, yes, some people are being medicated, but, you know, we have our standard way of medicating people, which I believe that there are people who do need medication, but I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. I believe there needs to be more work and more studying done on that to properly medicate people you know, mm-hmm. um properly diagnosed people because, you know, back being a teacher, so many people were diagnosed with ADD. Well, you know, the standard answer was, oh, they're A D D or they're bipolar. When in fact not everybody mm-hmm. was A D D or bipolar, you know, but it was a well, standard answer and so these young people were being well, medicated in some cases correctly, in some cases not correctly. But also Is medication always the answer? Maybe not. We need to invest more in a mental health in this country. Mm -hmm. We need to invest more in medications, proper medications. We need to invest more in diet, proper diet. Because there are some of these issues such as autism where they are finding that Diet can be very, very helpful for some of these children. It's not the want-all, be-all answer, but it's at least part of the answer. And I don't think that we're giving enough to the mental um, health in our society. And this is where we continue to have these problems. It's obviously not Mm -hmm. the game that's caused the problem. But, you know, I mean, think about it. Somebody lost the game, so this is how they decided to handle it.
1: Right. See, here's the Me, issue I in general. Is this country's mental health care has right. not changed since the 50s. Give them a pill, it'll make them feel better. Oh, that pill didn't no, make them feel better? Well, let's give them another one.
0: Yeah. There's also, in the 50s wasn't saying much either, but they also had the issue where, um, and I have to be honest, I'm sure I know this somewhere in my brain, but right now I'm not remembering the exact time period. There was a time period where they started releasing a lot of people from mental mental health um, institutions that probably shouldn't mm-hmm. have been, that we have a lot of them who are homeless and on the streets and do not exactly. have that support. They need support, and we're not taking That's in serious. the 70s is when they started calling it yeah.
1: cruelty and... Um, what is it? Cruelty and unfair punishment
0: and everything else. Yeah, and, you know, they, I think they even felt that it had something to do with their civil rights, you know. Um, right. I can't, you know, and I've even thought, I thought about this even a couple of days ago, so it's interesting that we're having this conversation, although it really shouldn't surprise me because I do that quite often, okay, is, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking about people who have mental health issues and no place to go and no place to turn, and they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I know with me and some of the daily things that I go through, as well as everybody else, sometimes you're feeling like, man. How do I get out of this? How do I fix this problem? And that's day to day life. I cannot imagine what that would be like for somebody mm-hmm. where things aren't working for them. Right. You know, and so I'm not saying this young person is not responsible for his behavior. It's terrible. It's terrible that we lost young people, you know, who who were mm-hmm. young and Mark. They, they were they hadn't even, hadn't even really started their lives. You know, then the ones who are injured and traumatized by this. But we, Mm -hmm. I really believe, and we've had many shows, we've had guests on our shows who have talked about this. I really believe Mm -hmm. we really need to start facing the fact that some of this stuff is coming because we are not dealing with mental health in this country. No, we're not.
1: We're not dealing with physical health, physical human beings, real-life situations at all. Right. We're dealing with a bunch of poppycockness. That's why I think we should suspend immediately the government pay system. And let's see how many politicians we have when it's no longer a lucrative career. But that's a side issue. And, you know, we actually have a guest tonight, guys. Yes, we have um, Brian Wilson, the author of the book, John E. Fritrick and the Quest for a New Age. Uh, he's a professor at the, of American Religious History in the Department of uh, Corruption Regions in Western Michigan University, and he's got a new book out, and we're going to talk to him about the book as soon as I get oh. Come on, blog talk. There yeah, we are. Oh, maybe.
2: Hello. Right? Hello. How are you? Good, how are, you? how are you this evening? Good, good. Glad to be with you. Well, yeah. welcome. Thank you. Well,
0: I want a little bit picture. of... Oh, sorry.
2: <laughs> we <laughs> well, do that sometimes. Um. <laughs> um... John Fetzer was a interesting guy. He was uh, spent most of his life in a little town in Michigan called Kalamazoo, and that's where I'm calling you from. And um, mm-hmm. he was uh, a media mogul. He started one of the first radio stations in southwest Michigan and basically built that into a kind of media empire in the Midwest. And he expanded out into um, television and cable and and just made a ton of money. And in Michigan, he's best known because uh, for almost 30 years, he was the owner of the Detroit Tigers baseball team. But the reason I'm interested in him, uh, I'm a professor of comparative religion. And so I'm really interested in new religious movements and metaphysical movements and all those kinds of things. Uh-huh. John Fetzer, along with his um, his business, uh, he also was on a lifelong spiritual quest, a, a search and so uh, I was really interested in writing a book about a kind of spiritual biography of how he uh-huh. basically constructed his worldview. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, tell us about
0: this search.
2: Well, it's interesting because um, he was born and raised a, a Christian. He was um, baptized a Methodist. And then uh-huh. uh, his mother converted to Seventh-day Adventism. And that's a, a, an apocalyptic sect it tends to be very conservative. Um, yeah. and mm-hmm. John followed him into the, it followed her into the seventh day Adventist church. And so he was, uh, a committed Adventist for, um, a, a number of years until in his late twenties, he decided it really wasn't fulfilling him spiritually. So right. he broke with the church. He left the church and, um, uh, started exploring all sorts of uh, interesting metaphysical and, uh, and 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 spiritual movements. And one of the first things he did when he left the church was uh, he headed down to a, uh, a spiritualist camp called Camp Chesterfield in Indiana. And it's kind of like it still exists today, and it's kind of like a permanent psychic fair. And this was way mm-hmm. back in 1933. So it was a while wow.
0: ago. Wow, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's there one he of the
1: few that are still left. Yeah, there,
2: there's, there's two other big ones. There's uh, Casadaga in Florida, and there's uh, Lilydale in upstate New York,
1: mm-hmm. which
2: is a wonderful mm-hmm. place. Yeah,
1: I love Lilydale.
2: So, yeah, it's a, it's a really quaint, fun place to go visit. People are so nice there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, the Fetter basically,
1: amazing, but anyhow.
2: Uh huh. He basically loved the seances, loved to basically talk to the the mediums, and um, also the psychics, and he got interested in psychic healing and all sorts of forms of divination. And Mm. the interesting thing about Camp Chesterfield is um, they had a great bookstore, and still have a great bookstore, and Fetzer basically, uh, every time he went down there, and he went down there for 40 years, um, he would come back with an armload of books. And so he, he started reading about theosophy and Rosicrucianism and Hermeticism and Freemasonry and just all sorts of interesting, different metaphysical traditions. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then uh, what's interesting about his life story is that um, even though he made a ton of money in the radio business, and the baseball business, um, he eventually decided very late in life, uh, in the 1970s and 1980s, to uh, liquidate his businesses, he sold everything off, and he uh, created an endowment for a foundation, which uh, became the Fetzer Institute. And the Fetzer Institute is is uh, still thriving to this day, and it's basically carrying really? on on Fetzer's spiritual vision. Yeah.
1: Well, what what's his spiritual vision?
2: Well, he had a couple of things he was really interested in um, he He wanted to promote um, individual spiritual transformation um, through a variety mm-hmm. of different means and the The key here and the reason the book is called "The Quest for the New Age" is because John Fetzer called himself a new ager years before that that term really became popular in America and sure, what he meant yeah. by it was he thought that if individuals basically transform themselves spiritually. If enough people did that, it would catalyze a global spiritual transformation. And so that's always right. been one of the, the, the missions of the Fetzer Institute to this day, to encourage individual spiritual development uh, in order to basically catalyze a global spiritual uh, transformation. Right.
1: Well, what were some of the spiritual practices that he brought back forth in, from
2: mm-hmm. Field. Well, uh, he was fascinated with various forms of divination. And um, so he, uh, he, he became very interested in astrology and various forms of dowsing. Uh, he used to carry mm-hmm. a, a pendulum in his pocket. And whenever he had a tough business decision to make, he'd pull out the pendulum and ask it a series of yes, no questions. And that, this would help to give him kind of the confidence uh, to mm-hmm. make certain hard decisions. He also uh, became very interested in the Ouija board, and I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with that, but he found it tremendously useful um, for making business decisions and, um, and mm-hmm. his own kind of personal decisions. And he also believed in uh, reincarnation, and so he was interested mm-hmm. in using the Ouija board to basically um, find out about his past lives. And these are all things he encountered yes, first back in Camp Chesterfield. Yeah, right. And that's really well, interesting. Well, he probably because, because um, encountered
1: a spiritual board uh, of a, a Ouija spiritual. board.
2: Well, no, he yeah. had a you know the 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 typical um, you know uh, mass-produced Ouija board, and really? I'm sure there are that's variations good. on it. Yeah. But that's essentially what he used. It was kind of off the shelf, you know. You can you can mm-hmm. still buy it today. They're still manufactured. I guess it's one of the best selling. Yeah,
1: has been stuff. manufacturing ones for a while. Um, yeah. The difference between Ouija and spiritual is the way the the letters are. Uh huh. A spirit board, they're all they're in a circle. Oh okay. And a Ouija, they're straight across. The reason I said most likely he used a spirit board. Um is because, you know, granted, ages ago, that's what a lot of spiritual mediums were using was a spirit board, and a lot of people classified them as we So I was like, mm, that's interesting.
2: hmm Well, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just uh, I just inherited from somebody uh, um, um, something called a psychic circle, which is exactly what you're Same describing. Thing. As a, yeah. Same as thing, a spirit repackage, board. re-merge. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's yep. fascinating just how popular this, this, you know, this thing has been okay. through the 20th and 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. kind um,
0: of interesting what, what was... you're saying about the reincarnation because I'm a past life mm-hmm. progressionist.
2: Uh, oh. So
0: I do past life regressions. I've never heard of using the Ouija board for past life. I have to be <laughs> Well, going, he, really? <laughs> he,
2: um, he consulted a, a, a medium, an English medium named Ina Twigg, yes. And she yes. basically said, mm-hmm. um, if you want to follow your past lives, use the Ouija board. And so that's what he started to do. Actually, he, he first really started using the Ouija board because he was very interested in genealogy and um, his father died when he was a very young man, so I think genealogy was a way for him to kind of get to know his father and his ancestors. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the problem was Absolutely. this was way back before there was Ancestry.com or any of those resources we have today, so he right. would he, he would have to actually go places. He would have to go to town halls and libraries and, you know, uh, churches to find uh, records, and, of course, he'd inevitably run up against roadblocks of, you know, just gaps in the information. So he started using the Ouija board to develop kind of hints and clues. And he believed, uh, he claimed, that the Ouija board was a good source for information that led him on to, you know, kind of uh, fruitful sources of information about his family. So that's how he first started Mm -hmm. using it. And then much later in life, uh, he started using it to basically develop his past lives, to develop a kind of narrative and he traced his past okay. lives all the way back to Atlantis. So he, he wow. definitely had a, a long series of – or he believed he had a long series of past lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's very know, we, possible with his growth. Yeah, most of us have a long series, but those of us um, who tend to um, be involved in the spiritual realm, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. those of us along the path. <laughs> You know, and I believe we are all on the path we're just at different places so to speak sure. um, you know but when we're seeking out you know our spiritual growth and, and working towards ourselves on our own we tend to have a lot of past lives I don't think really at this point in time there are a lot of people who only have a couple of past lives mm-hmm. I don't think that yeah, really no exists very much anymore mm-hmm. Um but, um, you know, uh, it does go back many, 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 many thousands. And just, yeah. We don't even know yeah. how, how many thousands a year Atlantis is. We don't know. You right. Know? Yeah. You know.
2: Well, for so in, the, the the thing was that he believed he had a a mission that he was basically uh-huh. pursuing throughout all these these past lives. And that, so each, each life, each past life, he never actually accomplished his mission, but he was kind of gaining spiritual wisdom and, um, and knowledge that would be useful in his, his present life. Mm -hmm. And so he believed that his ability to create the Fetzer Institute and put, put it on a a sound financial basis such that it would survive him really signaled to him that this was it. This was his last life. He wasn't going to be reincarnated anymore because he had essentially completed his mission. So for him, reincarnation really was, a, it was an interesting way of thinking about um, his kind of spiritual development, not only in his, his you know, present life, but right. back through the ages. And it gave him a great deal of confidence.
0: Well, past lives teach us so much. You know, it teaches us about present situations, sometimes about people that we're connected to, why we're connected to them, why we're going through the lessons that we're going through. Mm
1: You know,
0: uh, sometimes why, you know, sometimes people will have physical issues, wounds, birthmarks, if you will. Sure. Um, You know, sometimes they have emotional issues and they're going, where did this come from? You Mm -hmm. know, and when they go into past life regression. They begin to realize, hey, this isn't this life. This is unresolved issues from the past. And yeah. past life give us the opportunity to see that and go, now this makes sense. It also gives yeah. us the opportunity to heal from it so that we can heal and use it in this present life,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know. You know, it is a part of that spiritual path, that spiritual growth. So I 100% agree with that. Like I said, I just never heard of using the Ouija board. So <laughs> I agree. I, it's like, really? I never heard that one.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, he has also... been used for everything.
2: Yeah. He also yeah. consulted psychics and channelers as well. So um, he yes. used a variety of different ways to kind of triangulate his past lives. He also yes. believed in yes. –– um... he... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Do
1: you think Spitzer ever applied some of his spiritual ideas to running the tires?
2: Well, in a couple of occasions he did. Um, he usually was very circumspect about it because um, he never wanted to impose his his spiritual beliefs on people. And he always talked about freedom mm-hmm. of the spirit and, uh, you know, the right of everybody to basically develop their own spiritual path. And right. he also was very good at kind of compartmentalizing his business from his spiritual life, and part of that was because of the broadcasting. He was afraid, you know, he he lived in Southwest Michigan, which tends to be very conservative religiously, and he was mm-hmm. concerned if people knew about the kinds of things he was interested in, um, he would lose uh, advertisers and audience members. So very early on, he learned to be very kind of circumspect and quiet about his his spiritual beliefs. But late in life, well, uh, yeah. when he started thinking about, you know, getting rid of his companies and investing in the Fetzer Institute, he became much more open about his his spiritual beliefs. And in a couple of cases, one really kind of famous case in terms of the Tigers, um, Fetzer got very interested in transcendental meditation, and he began doing TM for for years. He and his wife, Rhea, um, did transcendental meditation for a long time. And he was good friends with uh, Maharishi Yogi um, and advised him on media and how to get the word out about TM. Well, Fetzer decided at a certain point that this would be great for the baseball team. So he introduced, and this was completely voluntary, none of it was coerced, but he introduced Mm -hmm. um, training in transcendental meditation at spring training for for the Tigers. And um, some of the players took it up and found it very useful, um, not only for themselves personally, but also for their game. And, of course, you know, sports writers got a hold of this and it became a, you know, they love to make fun of things like this. And Mm -hmm. um, but today, what's really interesting if you know, if a a big league athlete takes up meditation, nobody bats an eye today. It's just Mm -hmm. part of the game. Yeah, but back then sure. it was something kind of radical and different. How yeah, hmm. was know, the fact that year? Oh, <laughs> unfortunately, not too good. It was a losing season. And, uh, in yeah. fact, uh, there was a minister here in Michigan who basically said that um, the reason the Tigers did so poorly was because they were practicing what he called disguised Hinduism. So these were the uh, kinds uh, of reasons I'll- why Fetzer wanted to kind of keep his, his, his spiritual beliefs private at least for the time being. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: That was definitely a time period where people were not open to it.
2: You know? Yeah. I mean,
0: even now, people that you still have those skeptics out there, I know, you know, I came from a family who tried to do an intervention on me.
2: Oh, (laughs) wow. Like, uh (laughs) 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 uh-oh. Yeah. Even though we
0: get through that process, it's like, oh, we have to intervene on her, (laughs) you know? uh, and, uh, but, you know, a lot of them now call and say, gee, do you have the answers? <laughs> uh. <laughs> You've been asking them all your life. It's just that when we had a different title on it, it became yep. a bad thing, you know. But, you know, well, our society is much more accepting now. Yes. And, you know, again, it's about souls evolving more now, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and. Well,
1: tell us uh, about the Institute. What's some of the things it's doing?
2: Well, um, the Institute has a very interesting history um, because uh, Fetzer became very interested. He was very interested in in harmonizing um, science and spirituality. And during the 1950s, he became fascinated with parapsychology. Um, So, you know, ESP, clairvoyance, uh, psychokinesis, things like that. And so during the 1970s, when he started actually funding research through his foundation, Most of it was in parapsychology, and he did that for uh, about 10 years or so, and then he got kind of frustrated by the pace of the research. And by this time, it's the 1980s, and he's in his 80s, and um, his health is beginning to fail, and his wife's health is is beginning to fail. She'll eventually die of Alzheimer's disease. So he he basically shifted the focus of the Fetzer Institute um, from purely parapsychological research to um, alternative medicine and holistic health. And he was very fascinated sense. with energy medicine of all kinds. I mean, this mm-hmm. idea that you can use the, the, the body's aura to, you know, come up with machines to basically diagnose and treat disease. So he was that was something he was really very interested in uh, in the 1980s. And then when he passed That's away, really- he died. He died in 1991. He almost made it to his 90th birthday, but not quite. Um, The Institute basically shifted in a kind of more mainstream holistic health direction and started funding, um, you know, large-scale studies uh, with the National Institute of Health and things like that. And they also got into holistic health education. And um, one of the projects they funded was um, um, a TV series with Bill Moyers and a book called Healing with the Mind. So it was all about mind-body health. And for a lot of Americans at the time, this was early 90s, this was the first time they'd ever seen, it was shown on PBS, so this was the first time they'd seen a kind of mainstream discussion of different forms of alternative (laughs) healing. Including acupuncture, which for a lot of people they'd heard about but never had actually seen applied or talked about mm-hmm. in a in right. a serious way. So that was tremendously important, the health education, the holistic health education. Right. And right. then My most, most Yep. And they continue to do that. I mean they continue to fund those kinds of things, but they've shifted again. Um, after 9-11, the board decided that um, what the world really needed was more love and forgiveness. And so that became a kind of um, focus for the Institute through Mm -hmm. spiritual development. And so now they're they're funding uh, all sorts of programs to basically encourage spiritual development across the life cycle from childhood to old age. Mm -hmm. And then a very recent project, is very interesting and kind of hits on some of the issues you were talking about before I came on was um, they're very concerned about the kind of uh, political divisions uh, in the country. Um, And Mm -hmm. um, they've created a program to uh, basically get people together from all parts of the political spectrum to talk about the spiritual roots of democracy And the idea here is that by taking this kind of spiritual approach to democracy and and talking about the values that underlie it, that hopefully we can bring people together and, you know, they'll talk to each other instead of shouting at each other. Or judging.
1: Judging. That's right. That'll take no more
2: Yes, well um <laughs> they they realize they have their work cut out for them. Um, and that it's mm-hmm. it's the country is in a in a, in such a state at this point that um it's gonna take a lot of work and uh a lot of people with goodwill to basically as you said mm-hmm. to take the time and effort to actually understand their neighbors, which, you know, when we get right. this polarized it becomes very difficult for both sides to understand each other. And right. that's that's a real problem.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately, it's been going on for a long time.
1: Yeah. But well, if if we go back time. to
0: what we originated, you know, going back to what was the original premise mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, what it means as a whole for everybody because there is a need there. And that's right. Know, we have to get back to that, you know, um, and isn't forgiveness and letting go and loving each other as we are, isn't that such a freeing experience?
2: Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. 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 No, and I think it's, a, it's it, 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 you were also talking about video games. And, um, oh, wow. you know, one of my concerns is, you know, I, I teach at a university. I see my students. They're always on their phones. They're always on the technology. And, mm-hmm. it, it, it's you know, at some point you'd like to just say, well, just disconnect for a while. Just disconnect, yeah. um, look inside, meditate however you wish to meditate, And basically calm down, take a breath, and then come back out and confront society with a kind of cleared head. Um, I'm concerned Mm -hmm. that all our technologies, and I'm just as bad as everybody else. I love my computer. Um, You know, I used to play video games, just love that. But, you know, it's, it's so immersive and so seductive that it really takes us away from developing our human relationships. And I think that's the real yeah. problem. And I think it's affected us well, a lot. Well, I, yeah, I agree,
1: it's part of the problem, but I also agree. think it's part of the solution. You know, if we look at the way, say, the yogis of the 10th century meditated, mm-hmm. and we compare that to what came to the Americas in the late 70s, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. Now we're going into a technological age And you know If you see a set a nine year old On a video game Something simple mm-hmm. You can watch his aura Start draining down and cooling off Especially if he's hyper running around him In game He'll calm mm-hmm. down I yeah. think that you know the, We're not escaping reality When we're doing When people do video games they're stepping into that, into a physical, uh, um, not authorial, they're creating their own world, just like in meditation, Mm -hmm. but it's on a visual level. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: I think we're going to start, I think that we need some more spiritual research on, you know, what can a video game do? What are we doing Mm -hmm. on computers on a spiritual level? Well, I
2: think part of the problem is you know we use our technology without really being conscious of it and i think part mm-hmm. of it is i know mindfulness these days is a cliche but i think we really sure. do need to use our technology more mindfully and understand right. what we're sure. doing and in that case mm-hmm. i mean we're never going to i mean technology is here to stay i mean there's you know we're not going to get right. away from it it's Absolutely. brought tremendously wonderful evolution yeah but we need to learn yep. how to master it so it doesn't master us. And I think Correct. that mm-hmm. really is is um it's it's learning how to consciously use these these tools in a way that enriches mm-hmm. us and doesn't drain us.
0: I agree, and, you know, and I know I'm kind of stepping back here a little bit, you know. Um you know, I'm taking in the information that Ethan's giving and I think there's a lot to learn from there. But I mm-hmm. also know Doing what we do for a living, I don't have a problem disconnecting from my phone when, my, when I'm done with my time. My, one of my favorite things to do is head on a two-day road trip to the mountains. Phone's yeah. off. Mm-hmm. there for emergency, phone's sure. off. Yeah. I'm disconnected from the world. Yeah. And I'm connected with myself. And I'm connected with nature. And I'm, I'm connecting with that energy. And that for me, anyway, that's actually healing. So I think yes. to be able to mm-hmm. have a balance there of everything. And again, you're right. Mm-hmm. Find a way to connect technology to where we're in charge and not the technology. Yeah, well, and I think okay. like
1: some people I agree. Yeah, go ahead. I you agree. But, of me? You know, I kinda of have a question for you, Brian. Where yeah. do you think Fritcher would be on this technology level?
2: Well, on on the one hand, I think he would be absolutely blown away by it because he was mm-hmm. fascinated with you know all forms of technology, and he goes all the way back. He he built his first crystal radio set back in 1911, so you know mm-hmm. he went back to the birth of birth of of, of electronic media almost. You no, know, he wasn't yeah. I mean, we had telegraphs before then. But, um I think he would be absolutely fascinated by the computer revolution and then the digital re- revolution. Um, but mm-hmm. interestingly, in, in the 1960s, he was writing essays and and he was talking about the student unrest of the time, and he mm-hmm. was quite sympathetic, and he basically said, the same thing, we you know technology is is wonderful." Um, but it, it it's playing such a big role in our life that we really need to learn how to use it wisely. So I think he would have right. the, mm-hmm. the same approach today with the Internet, mm-hmm. with video games, with cell phones. He would love it. But on the other hand, he, right. would, he wouldn't he would be accepting it uncritically, I think. I think he would try right. and bring a balanced approach to it. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I think yeah, that I, that would be, you know, with him being such a pioneer, hmm yeah. you know, it's kinda like, you know, Randy, why don't you dial him up and see what he thinks of Ah Heart Radio? <laughs> that type <laughs> of a response from it. Uh-huh. Um just because you well, know, it's, he's one it's of those. It's a shame that, he you know, crossed it.
2: I'm sorry, I didn't hear you?
1: He crossed the dimension of business into spiritual, and you know he grew these two—the institute and the Memorial Trust—to yes. expand things even more so. So this yes. would be yeah. interesting to get his take on everything now. Yeah,
2: yeah. If we could yeah. conjure him up, I think it would be fascinating to sit and talk with him. I, I actually well. Mm-hmm. He died in 91, and I came out to Kalamazoo in 96. So unfortunately, I had never had a chance to, to meet him. And I think it would have been mm-hmm. fascinating to just have an opportunity to sit down for a couple of hours and talk to him. And especially at the mm-hmm. end of his life, it's really interesting. He was still engaged, uh, still very curious, still seeking, very interested in everything that was going on. So he you know, continued mm-hmm. growing throughout his life. And that's one of the remarkable things about his life story is that, you know, uh, the richest part of his spiritual quest were his last two decades, when he basically just kind of blossoms into, you know, the spiritual being that I, he thought he meant to be over many different lifetimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, they all just add up how much it comes to that. with it. Well, and, you know, Technology, always, mm-hmm. technology improvements come from previous technology improvements, from mm-hmm. previous technology mm-hmm. improvements, just like lifetimes come from previous lifetime improvements to the next lifetime improvement, and we grow throughout each, and the same thing with technology, if you think about it, mm-hmm. you know, well if really... You think of-
2: if you think of technology as kind of the physical embodiment of human imagination, then it's all uh-huh. of a piece, and it's all part of our kind of spiritual evolution.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. I You
0: wonder what will what will we, what will we be like in hundred years?
2: I'm oh. quite certain
0: we cannot imagine.
2: No, I don't think so. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Maybe I think we'll all be, be downloaded. In total integration with technology.
1: With technology, with spirituality, I think by then we will have discovered the other realms, um, the mm-hmm. mediums, I believe, to stick into and be able mm-hmm. to access that. Um, I think by then we will solve the money problem.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that was Fetcher's dream
0: problem. The,
2: the money problem? The financial
1: money problem.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, that was that was <laughs> that
2: nice. goal. That was his dream to you know, that was his idea of the new age. That there would be a um uh-huh. you know, a, um a harmony between science and religion and politics and every other sphere of life. Such that we're yeah. living in, in a way that is, you know, um sustainable and loving. I think that's one of the keys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, No. Yeah. I think that's one of the keys. But sustainable and loving I- is a
0: you want to say something? I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: No, honey. You go.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, sustainable and uh, living. Uh, he brought up a very, very important part there. And this is where we need to find this balance here, is being able to respect that other people have different thoughts, you know, different religious beliefs,
2: mm-hmm. being
0: able to, You know, allow them to make their own choices. Be respectful of those choices, yeah. And get to say, you know, you want this, you want that for you, and you want that for them. And that can, in some ways, go back to the originating fathers, but it can still be something that's appropriate today. Yeah. You know, it can still be that.
2: You know. Yeah. And
0: nobody's wrong.
2: Nobody's well, known. that's what I, I try and do in my teaching, in my classes of comparative religion, is to uh-huh. um, basically introduce my students to just a wide range of religious and spiritual traditions. And the whole idea is is not to convert anybody, um, not to convert right. anybody away from something or to something, but simply for them to be able to kind of imaginatively experience what it would be like to be a person of that tradition. And the whole idea right. is basically mm-hmm. not to judge and not to critique. That'll happen, but to understand, and that's the key to get people to understand their neighbors. Um, so what some the know trends
1: the... of the new one?
2: I'm sorry, could you repeat that?
1: What what some kind of the trends of the new religions you're starting to see?
2: Well, I, the the major trend in the United States, of course is um they do these opinion polls um on a regular basis and they're massive and they're done okay. by like the Pew Foundation and in Newark and Chicago and places like that and what they're finding is um the number of unaffiliated people uh, people who basically when they ask them what your religion is they'll say none and so we've started calling mm-hmm. them nuns which is confusing because it's n o n e <laughs> Um, and then they drill down on this and they basically ask, well, what do you mean by none? And only about 2% of the population, this none population, um, tends to be younger and only about 2% basically say they're either atheist or agnostic. And so the vast majority will then go on to identify themselves as spiritual, but not religious. So they're on an individual Mm -hmm. spiritual quest. And that's one of Mm -hmm. the fastest growing demographics in the United States. And it's unprecedented Mm -hmm. in the history of the United States. And it's fascinating because um, um, uh, the spiritual but not religious, and of course now there's an acronym, SBNR, um, the SBNRs are open to just about anything. They love experimentation. They love to um, look at new beliefs and practices. And they love to Mm -hmm. create... Um, kind of short-term communities around the things that they're interested in. So there's a social component. It isn't completely narcissistic, and it isn't completely individualistic. Um, They use this to create their own social communities. And, of course, um, you know, uh, social media has has helped this along as well, creating these kinds of virtual communities. So this is the trend Uh in the United States is more and more people moving Uh away from institutionalized religion, um, which has, you know, set beliefs, set practices. That's it. You've reached the destination. And more Mm -hmm. people are interested in the journey than they are in coming to a place where they're told, well, this is where you stop. They just want to keep exploring. Yeah.
0: Well, in reality, life is the journey.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. And anybody who says they have a you know, a certain answer <laughs> then I think you, you need to be pretty pretty suspicious of that. Yeah, because we You're as right. human beings, you know, just we know so little about what the universe is all about. Um and hopefully, you know, um after we die and continue hopefully uh evolving, uh, you know, our conscious evolving consciousness evolving. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll learn more and more, but it's such a vast place, you know, we're never going to know it all. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It'll it'll keep us seeking, keep us searching.
0: Yes, yeah, it's very much yeah.
2: so. how does this book
1: influence your spiritual belief if any?
2: Well, I, I'm i in a, I, you know, people ask me what my religion is, and I tell them it's comparative religion. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of describe myself as a agnostic seeker. Because on the one hand, I'm really Mm -hmm. attracted to these things. I'm really attracted to studying them. But none of them Mm -hmm. has basically jumped out and said, this is it. This is it. So at this point, you know, I'm on my own kind of uh, spiritual quest. And I'm in the perfect place to do it. As a professor of comparative religion, I get a, you know, people pay me to actually study these things. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there are so many religions and, and, and spiritual movements in the world that you know, I could I could be teaching this stuff for another fifty years, and I'd still not exhaust it. So that's that's uh-huh. where I find my kind of spiritual focus is just the variety uh-huh. of things that people believe and things that people practice. I just find that absolutely fascinating. Do you find cool. that? Uh,
0: um, and maybe this is being too specific with what you said, but do you find that there are or there is a specific Religion or religions that are just so untapped that we just have a real lack of understanding of.
2: Well, um, are there traditions out there that um, uh, have resources that I think uh, people might be interested in exploring? One of the traditions,
0: for example, I've I've seen um, information
2: on Hinduism.
0: Yeah, and always gone. Wow, these people are incredible—the knowledge that they have, and yet it's not really talked about that much. You that's know, true. I, I guess that's what I mean by it, you know, because you know we don't get—we're ex- getting more exposed to it now. Obviously, you <laughs> are definitely. Do you feel that there are some religions that just we really have no clue, and yet they bring so much? Interesting stuff for us to look at and explore.
2: Well, for Americans of a you know Judeo-Christian background, um, you know I think it's imperative for us to understand more about Islam. Um, this is an incredibly rich and varied tradition, and what we get it you know on the nightly news is is only the you know the bad actors, and there are uh-huh. millions of Muslims out there practicing a wide variety of forms of Islam and. So, some of the Mm -hmm. mystical traditions, the Sufi traditions, are so deep and rich that I think Americans would, you know, it would behoove us to really understand more about this tradition so we'd be um, less likely to condemn it. Now, every tradition Mm -hmm. has its, you know, its good side and its bad side. I had a colleague who basically said that religion makes good people better and bad people worse. So I think that's true. So every tradition is going to have its light dark and in in mm-hmm. the case of Islam, I think we really need to understand the light there, um the wisdom it has, <laughs> yeah, and we're getting more more and more South Asians in the United States, so our neighbors are Hindus and Buddhists um and Muslims mm-hmm. as well, and so it it really behooves us you know just to understand our neighbors um, mm-hmm. just uh um down the road from us is uh, down the road from me in Kalamazoo. Is uh, Dearborn, mm-hmm. Michigan, which is the largest mm-hmm. concentration of Muslims in the United States, and so yeah. um, it's a it's a tradition that's well established in the United States and contributes a lot so i I would say um, that's a tradition that I think people should look into a little bit more, if only just to understand the the variety the richness of it that you normally don't see mm-hmm. when you're associating it simply with ISIS and terrorists and things like that yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. So are you working yeah. on another book?
2: Well, um, yes. I decided to kind of go back in history a little bit. I, I'm writing another spiritual biography, and this time it's of um, kind of the father of American spirituality, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Mm-hmm. And I'm Ooh. focusing on his, his later life and a particular incident mm-hmm. when he traveled to California in 1871 and had just a really interesting trip. So I'm going to use that trip mm-hmm. as a way of talking about his, his later development um, as, a, mm-hmm. as an old man, essentially, uh, which right. typically when people talk about Ralph Waldo Emerson, they're talking about nature and, and the Divinity School Address. And those are all very early things that he wrote. Mm-hmm. And he changed mm-hmm. quite a bit. He evolved spiritually so much in his, his last decades. So that's what I want to focus on mm-hmm. in this, this new book. Oh, Well, you'll
1: have to come back. I'd love to. So yeah. Been a, yeah, You were yeah. you
0: were wonderful. You were wonderful to speak with. Um, very very informative. Um, where can somebody uh, get your book? How would our listeners go about getting well, your
2: information? Well, it, it's uh, it's available. Well, it's published by Wayne State University Press and it's called Johnny e. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age. And it's available on Amazon dot com and Noble dot com and other online booksellers. And it's mm-hmm. uh, available on hardback, and also there's an e-version of it, so a Kindle version. And ah, if people uh-huh. would like to download a free PDF of the preface and first chapter, uh, you can go to a website called infinitepotential.com. And that is uh, a website managed by the Memorial Trust of the Fetzer Institute, which is in charge of preserving mm-hmm. the, the legacy of John Fetzer. And wow. if you're interested in learning more about the programs at the Fetzer Institute, um, you can go to fetzer, f-e-t-z-e-r. dot org, and there's lots of information about the kinds of spiritual programs they're doing these days. Thank you were
0: reading my Very mind; that exactly was the next thing I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's
2: been a well, pleasure. Well, you have a great thank night, thank you for Brian. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Look forward to having me again. Good idea. All Good right, night. guys. Well, I'm going to be at the psychic coffee shop Thursday from 3.30 till 7. And then, again, I'll be back here um, on Mountain Bear. I may be hosting a new program this week, so you may want to stay tuned to my social media, um, which, of course, on whatever platform it is, type in Ace and Mike and follow me, like me, subscribe to me, whatever you got to do on that platform. And Miss Rainey, what are you up to other than, you know, trying to teach that little girl to walk and ballerina She staff? is just pressure,
0: honey. Uh, you know, I want to feel like I you. am with the angels, honey. She's it. Uh, basically, okay, mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of um, private readings this week. Uh, Also, if you want to either set up a private reading or uh, a a private reading uh, by phone, you go to Psychic, Rain, R-A-I-N-E, love.com, and go to my site, go to services, and uh, you can uh, set up an appointment um, with me there, and um, I look forward to speaking to you, and uh, everyone have a wonderful, blessed week.
2: Good
1: night, night, Miss Rennie.
0: Good night, everybody. Night, y'all.